Good morning, Whitewater. Merry Christmas. You guys are like, is it really a season? We just threw a Christmas party, so it's okay to say that around here. Man, so how, how many of you guys are uh, excited to be here? How many of you guys are awake? How many of you guys are like, but I'm physically beat down. I've been serving at the one... Ch- how many of you guys help with the one child, in other words, the party we just threw? Thank you, guys. It was amazing. If you're new and you're, you probably are just like, what are they talking about? We got to throw a huge... Christmas party for foster care families and kids, including getting individualized wrapped gifts for each kid. There were over 500 kids represented um, that got gifts and and families. All all told, we had about a thousand people on a campus, not this campus, we we use another building for that. And we had about a thousand people involved with, you know, volunteers and parents and families and kids. Unbelievable, you guys. And I just wanted to say thank you. Um, It is a special church, a special community that is willing to put that much energy, that much time to serving and blessing other people. And um, the thing I've... I'm so grateful about too is is not that just we're a church that's like yeah we we like to do nice things for people and just pat ourselves on the back like no you guys served some of the greatest servants in our church communities the foster families who have opened their homes to kids who do not have a home and have been through some of the like worst thing like there there are things that some of these kids have gone through that are unimaginable like that you or I could not relate to we were able to serve the families and the kids of that community, these heroes in our church. I mean, some of you guys may have been through the foster care system, may have been through a story like that. Maybe some of you have opened up your homes to, uh, to the foster care system. I, I don't know your story, but you are the heroes. You guys are the servants. And it was such a, wasn't it such a joy to serve them yesterday? Wasn't it a joy the last few weeks bringing gifts and I'm just so thankful. I wanted to show you guys some of the uh, cool things that happened as a result and during, uh, during the, uh, the actual event yesterday. Um, actually, I got a, a quote here that someone sent me. I'll read uh, the one on the, on the screen in a second. But uh, there, was someone, uh, there was someone who's not even a believer. They don't believe what Whitewater believes, but they're kind of slowly moving toward faith and investigating it. And uh, they came and helped out at the event. So they don't even believe yet, but they were able to bless with us. They could say, I can align with what they're doing, serving the foster care uh, um, community. And this person said, thanks so much for letting us, their whole family, be part of this event. How cool is that? That someone who doesn't yet believe or know Jesus, but is interested in, could come and serve with us and see Jesus in the middle of an event that we're all doing together. How cool is that? There was this other quote um, here. I, I just thought this was amazing uh, on Facebook. Uh, this is from one of the foster care parents. Thank you so much uh, for another amazing Christmas party. This is to Whitewater. As we drove away, uh, my four-year-old said, wow, mommy, those people really love us. Man, at the end of the day, isn't that what we're supposed to be known for as Christians? Our love? I mean, that just like, that's why we do this. And there were some, well, let's show them some of the pictures. Um, just some of the joy. I mean, the creativity that was put into it. Like, we had all these people create games, and um, we had um, volunteers just come. We had Elmo. <laughs> Elmo was a hit. The Grinch was um, lonely. He was not as much of a hit. We, we got to serve so many people, and it was just such a joy. Um, 
And kids got to, like personalized attention. We had a big old, like two actually big um, snow sledding slides. It was awesome. Um, guys put that. We had a, a, a youth room, and kids, some kids are playing board games. Others are hitting each other with brooms. It was great. Um, we just got to do so many things. Um, face paint kids against their will. It was, it was amazing. And um, ah, see, my friend who might or might not know who Santa is was here last service, and he was amazing. Um, you guys, just the. The joy that was on the faces of the families and the kids. It was, it was so cool to say, hey, you're not forgotten. You're loved and the church stands with you. And guys, sometimes that's the thing that keeps us going, you know. If you've ever been in a situation where you're serving and serving like foster parents do. Or kids who are going through hard times. Just someone saying, we're with you. So thank you guys. Would you give everyone a hand who was involved in that project? So my grandpa showed up at the event. Um, he used to be a pastor and used to do things like this. And, and uh, now Parkinson's is starting to take away his mobility and, and starting to limit him. And he actually had to move up from California so we could get him um, the proper care as, as Parkinson's is really setting in. But he was at the event and he was looking out and he just, you know, heard all the kids. Like when the kids opened the gifts, it was just the sound of joy and shrill screaming. It was awesome, and uh, he was looking over that after the event. He, he looked at me, he kind of pulled me in close, because he has a hard time standing now, and he pulled me in close, and he's like, he's like, this was a lot of work for eternity. I just thought that was so cool. Like, it's such a good reminder that, that there's work that we can do that's temporary, but there's some work that <coughs> makes an eternal impact. And... Uh, Thank you guys for being a part of an etern- eternal impact. My grandpa, um, he's up here now and living with us. He lost his wife two years ago. Her name was Novella. We named my little daughter, who's four and a half. We named her Novella. And um, he said with the holidays, he's like, it's been so wonderful. And he's like, so thankful. He's like the nicest guy you'd ever meet. He's got this jolly beard. He looks more like Santa than anyone I've ever met. And um, he says... He said to me the other day, he's like, hey, it's been bittersweet, though, because Christmas time reminds me of Novella, reminds me of my wife, reminds me of the, the times we had together and the holidays and the kids and before kids and, and the, the good times and the bad times. And he's like, and just the, the friends we had and the, um, you guys know, I mean, when you have a great relationship, when you love somebody, like there's just these moments that you have and you treasure them. And he's like, she's gone now. And he's like, now it's hard for me to wake up, um, you know, with the holidays and all this stuff reminding me of what's going on. And, and for a lot of people, it's super joyful. And he's like, but there's moments of that bittersweetness where I'll wake up, I'll wake up and I will hear, I'll hear her voice in my dreams. And when I wake up, her voice is gone. I'll, I'll hear her laughter when I'm dreaming. And he's like, I don't even want to wake up sometimes because then she's gone. And we're doing this series called Joy to the World, which is really about God bringing joy into our mess. <laughs> because have a life that there's mess sometimes. And, and for some of us, like, Christmas time is joyful, it's exciting, it's super good, it, like, brings warm feelings, but for some of us, there's, like, 
family tensions and there's children screaming or <laughs> whatever it may be. There's all sorts of stuff that go on. And for some of us, there's like loneliness, nostalgia, um, frustration. I'm not as far as, as I want to be in this Christmas. is just a reminder that I'm not as far as I want to be in life. And so like there's, it's a mixed bag Christmas for some of us. It's bittersweet sometimes, and we're asking the question this December, how can we be a church that, that really reflects Jesus in a way that whether we're, we're experiencing tons of joy and it's great, we ask the question, how do we bring that joy in a real way, not like an annoying way into people's, other people's lives? And if you're a person who's like looking for joy somewhere, and you're in a slump, you're in a f- frustrating times, you're in a season, whatever it is, and it's like, I don't experience joy right now. How can, how can you allow God to bring joy into your life despite the circumstances? And that's what we want to, that's what we want to do. And I want to look at a story um, in Scripture. That's, uh, to me, it's a really powerful story. It's the story of Joseph. And it's found in Genesis. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, chapter 37, I believe, is where we're starting. You can follow up on the screen behind me. But in this, in this story, we really, um, we're going to look at moments. I don't, we don't have time to look at this story because it's a long story, but I want to look at some four key moments in Joseph's life that helped him move from pain to peace. Moving from painful situations, painful moments, painful disappointments to peace in his soul. And I want to look, how, how, did, he, how did he do this? How did this work in his life? So some of you guys might not know much about Joseph. Joseph was the son of a guy named Jacob, Jacob the liar, who was renamed to Israel. And some of you guys are like, there's a lot of names in the Old Testament, and some people are renamed, yep. Um, Jacob was his father, and Jacob had um, uh, 12 sons at this time, and uh, so uh, Joseph had 11 brothers. And uh, Jacob played favoritism. He He favored Joseph. Joseph was his favorite. He gave him special treatment, gave him a special multicolored coat. Some of you guys might know about that. And guess what that did to the brothers? Oh, it just burned them up. I mean, in the Bible, it says they hated him. It wasn't like even um, like intensely disliked or was annoyed by, hated Joseph. And Joseph, in this scenario, one day comes up to his 11 brothers and he says to them, hey, listen to this dream I had. Um, there we were in this dream, binding sheaves or bundles of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf or my bundle stood up and your bundles, your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to my sheaf. You think this is making them excited and happy? (laughs) Feeling good about the holiday coming up? Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him, are you really saying you're going to rule over us? And so they hated him even more. Like there was a degree of hate and it brought it down to another level of hate. I mean, like this is hatred. They hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. I had two friends growing up. It was Jackson and and Harrison, their brothers. Um, uh, Jackson and Harrison Bevins. We called them the brothers Bevins. One was really tall and skinny, kind of lean. And the other one was real stocky and 
And uh, they grew up fighting like cats and dogs. I mean, all the time. And Jacksonville was his job to take care of his little brother and make sure that he was raised up properly in the sense that he was could handle anything and so like he was always beating on his little brother i mean he he broke his nose so many times i'm not kidding so many times that he could push his nose flat against his face and the nostrils would go out here he would just go like this no like the there was (laughs) there was no more cartilage in that thing it was just all busted up he had nicks and scars all over him and and uh and jackson was older was always beating on him he's like he's i'm raising him so he's uh he's tough he can handle life and one day, Harrison had had enough. The brothers Bevins were, were, he was getting beat on and his nose had been punched. It was bleeding. And, and, he, and he, I think he was in high school and he had had enough. And there was a, like, these are guys of like extra Y chromosomes or something like just like super hairy and beastly. And Harrison was just like, it picked up Jackson, ran him through the house and ran him through the window. And I mean, he, he landed on his posterior on the glass. He had to get like, uh, like 18 stitches. In the area, you don't want to get stitches. And he, I remember Jackson talking about the event. He's like, oh, he's like, I've never been more proud of my brother. <laughs> that day, Harrison became a man. You know, it was just like this. It was a thing. And so they had an intense rivalry, brother rivalry, but not a hatred like this. This was hatred. In fact, they came up with a plan to get rid of Joseph. They were going to kill Joseph. They waited until, they, until he came out to them. They were watching you know, sheep and, and uh, they were herding uh, animals. And they wait to, until he gets out there and then they threw him in a pit and they were going to kill him. But then one of the brothers, Judah, in verse 26, said to his brothers, What do we gain, though, if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. For he's our brother after all. He's our own flesh and blood. Like, we don't want to be responsible for killing him. Let's just sell him to somebody. And it says here, that's what they did. Verse 28, the Midianite traders passed by and his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt and sold him into slavery. He was literally sold down the river by his brothers. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody? Boss, co-worker, friend. The worst betrayals are by the closest people. You ever have a family member betray you, betray your trust, betray who you are? Can you imagine... All your young Joseph, he's the youngest at this time, and he's looking forward to life, and he's just probably kind of naive, and he's had favoritism his whole life, and all of a sudden he gets sold into slavery. His whole future is done. Everything he hoped and dreamed, and these dreams that he'd had about his brothers, they they circled him all right, and they threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. They were, I mean, could you imagine what he's feeling as he's headed, like, to this new land, he goes into Egypt, becomes a slave, doesn't know the language, doesn't know his future, doesn't know, and like doesn't have any power, has lost everything. Do you imagine how angry you would feel if you've ever been betrayed? There's like a cold, bitter anger that can occur when you've been betrayed. There can be like like revenge thoughts that go through your mind. I mean, not for me because I'm a pastor. I mean, you, <laughs> you people, and then probably have these terrible. 
But if you've ever been betrayed, it's just like, I'm dirty. I just, if, I, if I ever get a chance, I'm going to. And I hope that. And if, you know, a car was. And I, you know, there's these. And he, he's utterly betrayed. And in Genesis 39, it says this in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. He was with Joseph even when he was sold into slavery. And he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master whose name is Potiphar. In verse 3 it says, When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his whole household and placed everything he owned under Joseph's authority. This is amazing to me. This guy has been sold into slavery, has everything stacked against him. He's young. He doesn't know anything. Like, he doesn't even know the culture or the language. Like, he's got so much adversity striking him. He's been betrayed. He's got so much pain in his life. It'd be so easy just to give up and to just, I don't know, hit cruise control or just try to survive. Um, Joseph has the Lord's favor but, it, but, but he works hard. He doesn't play the victim. He was victimized, but he doesn't remain a victim. He doesn't just blame everything and just say, I'm giving up. He perseveres. Like he perseveres through betrayal and anger and pain, and he doesn't let it pull him down so that he doesn't respond and do everything in his power to do the best with what he's got. I mean, he has nothing, and he just does the best with what he's got, and he works his way up to being over, like being the administrator, being the steward, the servant of one of the most powerful guys in Egypt, Potiphar. That's incredible. My question is, how does Joseph persevere when many people would just give up? Now, Joseph, uh, it says this, continuing with the story, was well-built and handsome. I bet he liked this part of the story. He told his, his grandkids, all right, circle around. Now, let me tell you, you remember this story? Your grandfather was well-built and handsome. <laughs> they never wrote that about Moses, just me. Now, it says his master's wife. There's a few guys in here. I think you've told that story before. Shame on you. His master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. Very blunt back in these days. Um, But he refused (laughs) the temptation and said, look, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil? And get this, don't miss this. He said, how can I sin against God? Even though he's been betrayed by God, you know, someone could feel betrayed by God, betrayed by his family, betrayed by everything. And God, where were you? Even though he could go that route, he doesn't. Like he remembers what it's like to be betrayed. Hasn't he been betrayed by somebody? So how, he knows that and it's sunk into him. How could I do what my brothers did to me, to this man who's given me everything? I am not going to give in to this, in, 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 this temptation. He is not going to give in and lose his integrity. Um, 
with this seduction. So he, he won't go through with it. And I love that he, he says this is immense evil. What was done to me was immense evil. How could I do immense evil against Potiphar and against God? He, he will not forget or let go of his faith, even though he's been through horrible stuff. And so what ends up happening is he, he ends up spurning and, and keeps denying this woman over and over. And finally, she, she just has, is done with it. And so she goes and lies to Potiphar and says, hey, he, 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 he tried to um, take advantage of me. She creates this lie. And um, under a false testimony, we see in verse 19, Potiphar finding out. And when his master heard this false story, his wife told him that these are the things that your slave did to me. He was furious. And he had Joseph thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. I mean, I mean just real quick, I, we need to keep moving, but just for a moment, Joseph has pulled himself up out of the worst situation, out of betrayal and all this pain, and now he's, he's, he's over everything, and he's, he's somebody now, even though he's still a slave, he's somebody, and he's got a lot more power than he used to have. And he could easily think to himself, well, I've earned this, and my master would never know, and these are the benefits of being in power and gaining what I've gained for myself. Um, I, I, I can take advantage of this situation. Or, you know, you could easily see him justifying giving into the temptation. And then when he doesn't, and he does the right thing, he gets rewarded by what? Getting thrown in prison. And I'm telling you, I'm guessing that Egyptian prisons back in this time, this era, are not like nice places to end up. So he goes from the pit, gets sold into slavery, but still trusts the Lord, still works hard, doesn't play the victim, no matter how bad the cards life dealt him. And he continued, worked his way up, and then loses everything because he does the right thing. His brothers do the immense evil, and they get rewarded uh, with not having him in the picture and getting what they want. Uh, this woman, uh, he, 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 he spurns her attempts, doesn't do it, and he... He doesn't do the immense evil, and then he gets nothing. He gets worse than nothing. He gets put in a worse pit than what he was in the beginning. How many people would pass this test in our culture? Temptation to give up on their integrity. How many people would say no? Like over repeated attempts. And, you know, you, you could easily do this. No one would say it. another thing. But he doesn't do it. How many people would pass that test? How many people, how many of us here would have like adversity, pain, problem after problem thrown into our life where we get like nothing? Nothing. And he gets put in prison. Un, like there's injustice after injustice after injustice. How many of us would have a, 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 our, our faith still intact? If you believe in God, how many of you guys would, would, wouldn't have any, any issues just believing that God is still doing good things? Man, I, I, I would struggle. I think there's a lot of people that would give up. A lot of people that would give up. But check this out. It says, 
Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph even in prison and extended kindness to him and granted him favor with the prison ward. And the warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. You guys seeing a theme here? And he was uh, responsible for everything that was done there. And the warden did not bother himself with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. He was responsible. He was good. He was a good leader. And the Lord made everything that he did successful. God was with Joseph. He didn't abandon him. But Joseph did not play the victim. He did not blame all the circumstances. He did not blame God. And we live in a culture of blame. Michael talked about this a little bit last week where we talked about entitlement, how we want everything easy and we want everything now. Like, give this to me now. We have a culture that when we blame and we want everything now, we have this victim culture where it's like, like if, not, if things don't go right, we don't persevere. We just roll over. We quit. And there are so many moments where Joseph could have just called it quits. Could have quit on God. Could have quit on like just trying. In the prison moment where you've lost everything and there's no one coming to your defense and there's been a lie that has put you in this place and no one defended you, um, how easy would it have been to just sink into like a, a depression? Like emotionally, spiritually, just and give up. And give up. And we, there are so many people I think that are in situations and life hits them with things that they didn't expect, didn't want, didn't dream. And life has just totally changed. And pain has come. And, and they remain in that pain and they never find peace. They remain there. They blame. They, they, they fold. They roll over. And they don't persevere. They don't keep going. How does Joseph keep going? And then these stories from the Bible might seem irrelevant. But in our day and age, where people are giving up all the time, giving up on their faith, giving up on God, giving up on their families, giving up on their wives, their husbands, giving up on their kids, giving up on their culture, giving up on all sorts of things, even themselves. I, I can't think of anything more relevant. So how does Joseph do this? Well, I, I want to skip to the last move, movement, the last moment of of testing Joseph in his life. And to get there, you have to understand, when he was in prison, he gets brought before Pharaoh. The leader, like the head honcho of Egypt, he gets brought before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's had a dream, and he's freaked out about it, and no one's able to interpret it, and he knows it means something big, because he keeps having this recurring type of dream. And, and he's heard that Joseph is a guy who knows how to interpret dreams. So Joseph gets brought to him, and he says, hey, I've heard you can interpret dreams. I want you to interpret mine. No one else has been able to do it. Will, will you do it? And Joseph could easily have said, yep, I totally can do it. I have that power. But in that moment, he says, no, 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 I can't do that. You could probably imagine the court's like, this guy's dead. <laughs> he brought him all the way out of prison. And he's, and he's like, I, actually, yeah, I can't do what you want me to do. I just wanted to get out for a little bit. <laughs> he goes, no, I can't. But my God can. My God's the one who, he enables me to do this. How amazing is that statement? He's lost everything, been betrayed. The pain of betrayal, the pain of injustice, the pain of doing the right thing and getting nothing for it, getting thrown in prison. And like, where has God been? And he says, I can't interpret dreams. But God, God can. And then he tells him what his dream means. And what his dream amounted to was that God was telling him that Egypt was about to have seven years of amazing 
uh, prosperity and they were going to have a lot of uh, harvest and, and just everything was going to go well. But then there was going to be seven years of famine where they lost everything. And Joseph said, and what God is letting you know this early is so that you can be ahead of it. You need to appoint someone who's wise and discerning and, and, and truthful. And so they can start storing a food and harvest for those tough years to come. And not only for your nation of Egypt, but other nations will come to you and be saved and make you even more wealthy because you have been chosen to be the deliverer and the provider during this famine. You need to choose somebody, says this prisoner. And Pharaoh looks at him, he's like, you're the guy. God is with you. No one else has been able to interpret this. I choose you. And he puts him over the whole land. And Joseph, again, is put over all of Egypt. The only person it says that was over him was Pharaoh. I'd like to end it there. But there was one more test for Joseph. His brothers, in the middle of the famine, have to go to Egypt. Because they don't have enough food. So they go to Egypt, they meet Joseph, they don't recognize him, they haven't seen him for years. He's a man now, he's in charge of Egypt, he knows Egyptian culture, speaks their language, they don't recognize him. And it says they stand in front of him and he kind of tests them to see where their heart is, see what's going on in their life while they don't know that it's Joseph. And then finally in Genesis 45, it, it, it says this, Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendants. He couldn't like maintain the facade that he's just this leader and that he's not Joseph, the brother of his, betray, you know, of his betrayers. So he called out, send everyone away from me. Sends out all his servants. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, after all the tenants leave, and they're there just to buy some, you know, some bread. They're buying some life. He says to them, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? Do you imagine hearing? The Egyptian that you're coming to to buy, like the ruler of the land, speak in your native tongue and say, I'm your brother. I'm the one you betrayed. Some of us think we have a lot of family tension. (laughs) It says this, but they couldn't answer him because they were so terrified in his presence. And Joseph said again to his brothers, please come near me. And they're like, you know, I'm Joseph, your brother. The one you sold into Egypt. This moment here is a big moment. <laughs> I'm, remember me? I'm the one you sold. You put me in Egypt. You, instead of killing me, you sent me away and made up whatever lie. I've never even seen my father since. So I don't even know if he's alive. I don't know what's going on. But you put me here. The one you betrayed standing in front of you. You sold me for 20 pieces of silver. And now you want to come buy some bread from me. Well, well, well. Isn't life ironic? And in this moment... He could, I mean, all the revenge thoughts, all the anger, all the hurt, all the pain, like he could easily just have total revenge, totally just end their lives or put them, put them in prison, put them through what he went through, make them slaves. But look what he does in verse five. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here. 
because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there's still five more with, uh, without plowing or harvesting. And God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. And you could just see like some of the guys like, like blown away that they're not dead. But then a few of them like, Joseph, he's... We did all this stuff to him, and he still is nice to us. Like, you know, they can just see him going to an all-time low of hatred. Like, he's so good. He's so loving. Like, of course, of course, he would find a way to make this, you know, like God did something great. And I love that he says, you know, what you were intending, what you were doing for evil. He's like, no, God, God had another plan. And he takes, like, some of the power away from them, and he gives it to God where it belongs. Isn't that interesting? But here's the thing. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. If you're going to have forgiveness, some of you guys might need to forgive somebody in your life. You know, I don't, I don't know everybody here. But that happens from time to time. Where we have to forgive. We have to reconcile. But he doesn't do the kind of reconciliation that's like doesn't talk about the problem, doesn't talk about the pain, doesn't, doesn't talk about the betrayal, um, ignores it, sweeps it under the rug. And as long as we don't talk about it, everybody's fine. That does not lead to true forgiveness or reconciliation. Joseph names their evil. He names their evil. He's not just like Mr. Positivity. He says, you sold me into slavery in Egypt. You betrayed me. But what you meant for evil, God turned to good. And he embraces his brothers as brothers. How does he do it? Like, how does he have this outlook? When anyone else would take revenge, anyone else would be reliving and like going through all the trauma that they went through. Like, like when, when anyone else would be finding a reason to just take revenge and to, or, you know, like just to hammer them. He forgives. And I think this is the, this is the secret that Joseph has. So for any of you who are struggling in pain or have friends or family members that have been lost in, and they need to move or you need to move into peace, like, like Joseph has this incredible peace. I mean, he's, he's weeping, he's grieving, he's going through this process, but he has the peace to be able to forgive. And here's what I think his secret is. In Genesis 50, it says this, the brothers are worried once families come back together, Jacob gets reunited, but his father eventually dies. And the brothers are like, man, is he going to go, you know, Michael Corleone on us and wait till dad's dead and then he's going to take us out? And Joseph, when he finds that out, says this, don't be afraid. Am I in a place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good. To bring about the present result, the survival of many people. What you planned for evil, God turned to good. Uh, you might want to write this down. But I would just put this in your heart. The path to get from pain to peace, to do that, to get from pain to peace, you have to have a higher perspective. You have to get a higher perspective. And Joseph, this whole time, after every adversity, everything he goes through, and, and he perseveres time and time again, when anybody else would just give up, 
he has a higher perspective. He's looking from an eternal perspective, from a godly perspective, from a spiritual perspective. He knows that no matter how bad things get, no matter how evil things are, that God is turning evil into good. He just knows it. Perspective, godly perspective, eternal perspective, spiritual perspective, it provides perseverance. He's able to push through these things because he sees the problems differently. He sees, where everybody sees a dead end, he sees, man, God will make a way. I believe it, I trust it. And the hardest thing is in every pain moment, in every betrayal, in every act of injustice, and every heartache in our life, when we are in the middle of it, we can't see the waters part. We can't see in the struggle and in the pain that it's all going to be okay. And it's hard to trust God. Joseph saw from God's vantage point, it's, God is going to bring good. Even if I die, God will bring good. Whew. How do you have that kind of faith? You have God raise you to a higher perspective. When we pray, we say, God, would you help me? Or God, man, I'm going through this right now. When we pray, God lifts us. It's him lifting us to a higher perspective where we can see what we couldn't see, that maybe there's something else at work. Maybe there's another deeper plan. Maybe there's a a deeper thing that God's doing. And even though it's wicked, and even though there were evil intentions and all this stuff, all these people were doing their worst to make evil happen and to serve themselves, God used it for good. And not only God used it for good for Joseph, he transformed Joseph into a generous person who was willing to save a world that had plotted his demise, his slavery, his ruin, his brothers and Egypt and Pharaoh and all the, and Potiphar and his wife and all these people that had put him there. He created the circumstance that, 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 that in the midst of the famine, he provided for them. With no Joseph, all those people would be dead. He provided for the people who had hurt him the most. Me and my family went on a journey. We went down to Sacramento for Thanksgiving. And I remember we were taken off on the plane. And my daughter was sitting at the window. And and all we saw was like runway. And then all of a sudden it took off. And it was real shaky. It was like we had like a a lot of static or something. It was just like bouncing around. And and all of a sudden you could see the airport. And then all of a sudden she was looking. She's like, Dad, look it. There's water. And you could see Puget Sound. And all of a sudden we got to this altitude where you could just see like the whole Puget Sound. And she's like, Dad, is that just Washington? I'm like, yeah, that's Washington. And it was this amazing moment that this little girl is seeing this world, this wide vista she's never seen before like that. And she's at an awareness level where it's like, wow, the world is so much bigger. And what was so small in our, our world that was so small was all of a sudden expanding and I felt myself with with her as she's watching this all the cares and worries and stress and pain in my life was all of a sudden like becoming so much smaller as we were being elevated some of us who are struggling to persevere through uh, relational issues pain hardship betrayal and we're struggling to forgive we're struggling to move forward with our life from pain to peace might I suggest maybe some of us need to get to a higher perspective and when we seek him, say, God, I don't get this. I'm going to trust you. We work through the struggle. We're lifted. We're lifted. When wolf gets caught in a trap, it doesn't matter if 
It gets caught in something by its own doing or that's a trap that a hunter puts out. When it gets put in, sometimes there are people that will free them. The wolf will bite, fight the person that's trying to free them because it doesn't have the perspective that this person is coming to help them. How many times are we fighting and remaining in pain and keeping ourselves trapped in our own trap or a trap that someone else has set or the world, this is the world we live in and we're bleeding and we're in pain and we're hurt and we're lashing out because we don't know that there's a God who is at work doing good. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things, uh, all things work together for the good of those who love God. Do you believe that, friends? Are you able to stand at a view, at a perspective that lets you know, no matter what happens, that all things work together for the good of those who love God? Do you love God? And you believe that he's working for your good. Some of you might be like, but George, you don't realize, like, like I, like I lost my husband. I lost my wife. I've been in divorce where they left me. Like, you don't understand, like, I lost my dad when I was little, when I needed him. I had a crazy family, and I didn't have what I needed. Like, you don't, like, it's been so hard, and, like, there's still pain that you are, like, trapped in. You will not be able to move out of that to peace. Until you can say in your heart what the world means for evil, what that person meant for evil, God is turning to good. Amen? Next week, I just want to let you guys know, me and my wife are going to share our story. Um, in the last few years, we went through a time of, of pain, and we just want to share our story and be real and share with you like how God helped us through that. And I would just ask, if you have any friends, family member that are going through pain, or are going through a hard time now, or maybe you're going through a hard time now, I don't know. But anybody that you think could benefit from being there, bring them. We want our story to help others, to, to bring other people to a higher perspective. You guys know that the world meant to, what the world meant for evil to crucify Jesus, God turned to good so he could deliver us? This is the good news good news is that God is turning evil to good. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful for you. Would you lift us up? Lift us up above the clouds. Lift us up above the pain. To see from a higher perspective. Bless these people who are here today. In your name, Jesus. Amen.